Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm here today with Laura Conti. Laura works in activism to raise awareness about the lives and experiences of women in fundamentalist Christian backgrounds. She co-founded social enterprise Hashtag Go Kindly, which supports women experiencing homelessness and housing stress. And she also does activism through Fierce Lady and at her website, lauramcconnell.com. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. So first of all, let's get started. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing, because this is pretty specific. You work with raising awareness for for women of fundamental Christian backgrounds. Yeah. So I think... um, I so to start with I'm uh, 40 years old and I until I was 19 um, lived inside a fundamentalist Christian sect which is known as the truth Um, and that organization is a bit similar to the exclusive brethren and fundamentalist Christianity itself spans I guess a, a wide variety of conservative Christian interpretations that's things from Jehovah's Witnesses to Mormons to um, the brethren and so yeah my group is a the group I come from is a, a smaller um, segment but we're part of a I guess a larger fundamentalist Christian belief system who all um, operate independently but have similar thoughts about the way the world operates and heaven and hell and interpretations of the Bible yeah so while I I, I work across all of those, kind of groups, um, although my the specific group my family come from is called The Truth. I should say up front that fundamentalism ha- um, covers all um, faith groups. Um, while I, I work with Christian, fundamentalist Christian groups, there is fundamentalism inside Islam, there's fundamentalism inside Judaism, um, and you'll, you'll be familiar with some interpretations of fundamentalism, um, like Hasidic Jews believe a very conservative type of Judaism, which is one a fundamentalist Judaism, and then and the Taliban are a very far right interpretation of of Islam. So they're a fundamentalist interpretation of Islam. So yeah, um, fundamentalism exists on a scale; um, it exists across all faiths. Uh, yeah, so it's a bit of background about that. Um, my own personal kind of background is that I was born into the group um, on my mother's side. Um, one strand is has been in for five generations, so I'm the fifth generation. Um, another strand for four generations, and my father's side has been in for three generations. So um, my family's been in for a very long time. My grandparents, um, were, my grandmother was born into this group. My father was was pretty much born into this group. So, yeah, we, we were very deeply embedded in that faith and, and community and belief system. I made a decision. Well, I didn't actually make a decision. I made a series of decisions over, I guess, my teenage years, which eventually led to me not being part of the group. And there, there's... Um, the path out, and I guess we can talk about this when we talk more about sex and cults and people who believe in 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 unusual belief systems. The you know the path out is never a split decision, a split second. Well, not never, but very rarely. I have I heard people who made one decision and just walked out. Um, it's a very painful journey. It often results in you losing your support system, losing your family, your friends, your belief system, and a lot of the structures around you. So it is a very complex process of of leaving these groups. And that's a lot about the work that I do um, on a volunteer basis, speaking with young people and 
and women who are thinking about leaving or who have questions about fundamentalist Christianity, about what that might mean for them and what their life might look like. So tell me why you decided to help other women. What is it that is so powerful about the group that makes it so difficult to leave? Well, I don't think I, again, like the conscious, like the decision to leave, I don't think I ever made a conscious decision that I would help. But I think, so when you're in for as long as my family have been, and when your community is so tight knit, you actually don't really know a lot of people outside the community. And, and you even, you trust even less people. So you're, you become so closed in the way that you see things and the filter through which you see everything that you don't have contacts and you don't have people that you feel that you can trust to talk to. And so I found myself informally chatting to people like cousins and second cousins and distant relatives and friends of cousins and people within that community and having conversations about how might you, you leave, what might life look like on the outside. Are people on the outside? Are they what people say you are? Is my belief system a little bit skewed? What other belief system could I replace it with? How would I go about replacing my beliefs with something else? And it was very informal, and it still is very informal. I've just chosen in the past probably five years to talk about it more formally in a more formal context. But it has always been about sitting around and talking about, well, so this view that you've got on women working, how does that fit with your morals, this view on medicine and you know and assessing psychologists how does that fit with the way that you feel about this so it's it's taking individual things and just having an informal conversation with people about how some of the things that you believe might actually not stack up against other belief systems and other ways of thinking so talk to me about I'm kind of missing a little bit of context here because I can't having not come from that background I've only got when you were talking, I was thinking of Louis Thoreau when he went to visit the Westboro Baptist Church yeah. and that kind of thing. And one of the granddaughters left and she was basically cut off from her entire family and she couldn't talk yes. to them and they could never have contact with her. All of that kind of stuff, that's what I'm thinking of. That's the picture I'm getting. But what is it like, because you said you don't trust anybody outside mm-hmm. of your church group. What's that all about? Explain all that to me. It's about access to information, right? And it's about seeing the world through a very specific pinhole, a trusted pinhole, right? And this is what the same view that you see in things like QAnon. This is the same view that you see in things like anti-vaxxers, anti-fluoride, anti, you know, any of these anti-maskers. It's a similar thought process, which is I have decided that this is the way that I view the world and I will view all information through that pinhole. So regardless of the other kind of layers of information and other authors and other people that might be available, I will view the world through this very thin pinhole. And actually, there are points at which you can influence that. So I'll touch on that a little later on about what leads people into these kind of groups in general. But once they're in, there is a pinhole through which they see information and they've actually got reasonable reasons, loads and loads and loads of reasonable reasons about why the world lines up to their pinhole view of it. And actually, they're able to discount any other kind of evidence to the contrary because they have lined everything up, every source that they can possibly find, whether it's the Bible or whether it's scientific information or whether it's people who see the world in the same way through the community lens to back up their belief system. And they're actually able to then structure their lives in a way where they don't come into contact with anybody who actually contradicts that worldview. They then become their own insular community, whether in a religious sense that becomes a religious community or whether in an online sense that becomes the likes of QAnon as an online community. They really become 
and, and then they, yeah, they isolate themselves from people who will think differently to them because actually there's no space for that and that's where distrust comes from. Right. I, I want to go off into two directions here because I was, I went on a personal basis. Okay, so for me, I've cut out a lot of the people who've gone down the QAnon conspiracy theory and the vehemently loud people who are against all the COVID stuff, the masks and and everything, I've cut them out of my life. So I'm kind of viewing things through a pinhole in a way. Yeah. But what is it that makes those things so attractive? Like these, because to me, um, when I was talking to somebody the other week, it really dawned on me for the first time. um, This particular person was very conspiracy theory there's this whole thing going on and COVID-19 is just a way of the government's controlling and getting power and and none of it made sense to me but there was a part of me listening going oh this sounds very much like a religious cult leader trying to or a religious cult trying to get people to join there's this emotional hook and oh look there's that emotional hook and that was really shocking to me because it was really fascinating (laughs) yeah well I think there's this thing called love bombing you know where where people throw attention and it's it's reasonable attention it's it's there makes you feel good and it makes you feel that you're part of a community and it makes you feel that you belong um and it taps into things to vulnerabilities um and that's the irony is that we all have vulnerabilities but a lot of these groups tap into a vulnerability and get them at just the right time And, and it's about and that's what that hook is it's like a love bomb at the right place at the right time that makes you feel important and makes you feel validated and then from there there becomes you know, and, and and I think even from a religious perspective a lot of what happens in in far-right fundamentalism is that actually the things that you come into contact with can sometimes be fairly reasonable so it, it's not necessarily in QAnon's um they're not going to come up at you and talk to you about the head the lizards or whatever it is the lizard people because they know that that's too far from where you are what they will pick is the things that seem kind of reasonable and then once they've got you sucked into a community where you feel like you belong where you'll be surprised the things that people will tolerate even if they don't 100% believe the ideology because they've built a community around this and they've built they've built their worldview through that pinhole so tightly that actually lizard people is yeah it's a bit weird but I'll go along with it and I'm okay with it because I believe in the rest of the ideology so there's sort of yeah that when you first join groups or you first start an affinity with these groups they're getting you usually with a hook of something that is already a vulnerability to you a sense of belonging a sense of purpose a feeling that you have been alienated from other people and that these people um, they understand you and they get you and you you they tap into things you know and that's why I think QAnon and and some of these conspiracy theories get so much traction at the moment is because there's so much unrest. There's so many people who are not doing as well in this economy as others. And it really taps into that vulnerability in people that think, yeah, the world isn't fair. Yeah, we are being controlled. Yeah, there's all these things happening that I don't feel comfortable with. And when we have these situations where there's people are not feeling like they're winning at the same rate as other people, that they're losing out, that there doesn't seem to be obvious reasons why other people are getting more than they are then people go searching for answers and sometimes the answers people get are not necessarily the ones that are going to make the place, the world a better place. So why did, I mean, I know you say it's a vulnerability um, or not a vulnerability. Yeah, it is a vulnerability. You know, they people draw those hooks in. Explain to me some of the hooks that are used by religious cults and why it is so similar to the conspiracy theorists and all that kind of stuff that's going on now. Well, 
I have to say my family, so one of the things I did when I first left the group, and in fact in the early stages of thinking about leaving, was try and understand why, how, how did, how, what was I in? How was I in it? How did that, how did that happen to me? How did that happen to my family? And I got, I guess, quite obsessed with kind of history and understanding how did each of my family members find this group? And I, I now, as, as a result, ask questions when I come into contact with others about, so who did in your family join this group and in what decade was that? And in, because what I've found is that my family in their various branches joined at points, points in their life when they were going through great upheaval, they were going through great change, they were very vulnerable, and they were looking for meaning and purpose. And I think the biggest thing and the reason I was, I think, possibly so obsessed with it is that I thought there are people in my family who are highly intelligent. And I'm not a stupid person. So how did this stuff happen to people who are reasonably intelligent? And why did they get sucked into this? And, you know, it happened at points. It happened in the Depression. One one branch of my family fell into it or chose to go into it in the Depression when they lost a, a farm and they lost a property and they were going through great emotional upheaval and family change as a result. One branch of my family had a serious mental illness and she was going through, you know, in and out of mental institutions, very vulnerable as a result in the 1920s and 30s. When you can imagine that mental institutions were not very nice places. (laughs) And my grandparents um, were very young. They they married very young. They had children very young. They lost a child to SIDS and they were fairly rough people and they were looking for some kind of belonging and some kind of social cohesion and a way to find their way onto the to a ladder of respectability and so what I've learned from my experiences and then from asking similar kind of people how their family came in is at a time of great social change these groups are particularly attractive to people because when you feel that there are others winning at your expense when you feel that you have health problems when you feel that you're not getting the help you need from doctors when you're not getting honest answers from people like medical, like mental health professionals. People are particularly vulnerable to other ideas because they're already searching and they're not getting the answers in the places they normally get them. I think my view on this is that we have entered a time of social upheaval and there are people winning and there are people losing. There are people who are already feeling like things like our normal government are not actually... I mean, Christian Porter today has just come out and gotten a million dollars magically from somewhere for legal fees. I mean, you and I know that that's probably some rich person who's funding him or some rich corporation, but other people will look at that and think, well, who is it that's funding that? Is it a pedophile ring that's funding that? It's easy to fall in when you've got misinformation that can so easily be because there is corruption and there is things being done wrong. Then, yeah, you you lead people into these things fairly easily. So give me an example of some of the ways of saying things that they might use. Can you do that? Is there a special way? How do you recognise what's going yeah, on? you recognise. That's the hard part, isn't it? Yeah. Look, as I said, there is this love bombing process that happens and I think it's a matter of recognising where your own vulnerabilities are and also making sure that the influences around you are varied and that you have people around you who are likely to have conversations with you when they don't feel that some of the people you're interacting with are quite right. Also be willing to debate your ideas moderate way. I think if you don't feel, because the other thing I've noticed is that when you come into contact with these people, 
is that you get thrown back at you reams and reams and reams of data and text and <laughs> almost illegible. And it's a way of speaking. It's its own language. It's its own way of communicating. And I think they're alarm bells for me. When I see that really verbose, really over-the-top communication that's designed to make you feel like, God, this is too hard. How do I deal with that? Because, yeah, it's overwhelming people. It's deliberately overwhelming you to confuse you. But I read that and think, well, if I was sending that to somebody, I would want one of my friends to say, yo, what's going on over there? Like, (laughs) it's a fair bit of stuff coming at me. But you just distill that down to like a couple of sentences so we could have a debate about it. And I think that's, for me, Look, and and you get to a point where people are so far into it, even from a religious sense, some people are so far embedded into it that there's actually no way you can have a conversation like this about it. You've got to pull away from those people. You've got to find space from those people because you're not helping the situation. You're actually pushing them further into it by trying to debate it. The ones where you can try to help them recognise or you can probably yourself influence is when they're at a point where they're asking questions or they're at a point in the early stages where they're only just starting to understand, to get hooks into it, and they're just starting to hear bits and pieces of it. There is a level at which you will make it worse by trying to engage in it, is my experience. Yeah, I was going to say that that's one of the issues I have is the being talked at. And I can only talk about the conspiracy theorists, the, for want of a better expression, anti-COVID, all that because there is no space for a conversation. No space. You say something or they'll start talking. I interrupted this person the other week and this person was talking about um, COVID being a conspiracy and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, okay, I need to nip this conversation in the bud. So I I said, look, I just got to say here, I disagree with what you're saying. My cousin died of COVID and my brother was very, very sick. Person didn't skip a beat. They just said, oh, comorbidities, you know, and this happened, some people die and carried on going. And I was Mm. pretty mortified. (laughs) Yeah, and also when people in this kind of state, it's almost like a trance in lots of ways and they lose perspective altogether about reactions from other people. They lose the ability to read other people altogether and that's, yeah, I think that's it's a dangerous point but it's also a point at which personally I don't try to they will speak at you you're not having a debate you're not having a conversation and any kind of debate with them actually pushes them further down the rabbit hole it's just because they've lost all kind of ability to relate to other people they can only relate to people within that same kind of community as themselves you've got to wait for a point at which they go oh I don't feel so good here what's going on here before they'll actually have they'll consider any other point of view outside their own Yeah, that was where I was going to go with it because I've got a friend and the people around her are very much conspiracy theory, like straight down the rabbit hole, dragged the rest of the family with them and Mm. there's just her and she's already quite vulnerable. Mm. She was already depressed. There was already stuff going on in her life and I've been kind of that shining light going, no, this is silly, please don't go there but I can feel her slipping further and further away. And it's, it's, there's not a lot I can, my feeling is there's not a lot I can do after a certain point, but what can we do to help people, whether it's with 
the conspiracy theory, whether it's a religious group, what can you do to support somebody? For me, it's always been about connection. So if I think back over my childhood, the things that have helped me to be the person I am today, to have built a career, to be a relatively functional person, you know, and that's not without trauma and it's not without scars, but it's actually you will be surprised how much of an influence having responsible functioning people around you is. So when you're inside these groups, you are you come to believe that everybody outside with a different belief, especially those very deeply embedded belief system, is actually um, broken, is actually dysfunctional, is actually not viewing the world properly, and that you are right and there is a very black and white view of the world, that they, in my instance, are the devil from a religious perspective, but from a conspiracy theorist perspective, it's, you know, that they're being misled and they're being lied to. And so you come to believe that your way of seeing the world is the only one and that everybody outside of that has gotten it wrong and that they are either broken or deluded or sick or mentally ill or whatever your view on that is. And the, the best way for me in the, in the first kind of parts of asking questions and in trying to rebuild a different view and a different frame of the world was to realise all these really good ordinary people who don't share the same belief system as the community I come from who are living really functional, really ordinary lives, who are really good people, who will speak to me in a way which is respectful, who aren't evil, who aren't the devil, who aren't broken, who aren't whatever. It's like giving people a different frame of reference rather than being the one that they think that you are. So it's almost saying, okay, so that's the way you want to see me. What I'm going to do is actually be the antithesis of what it is that you think people outside your belief system are which is why I think arguing at a certain point isn't worth it because all it does is reinforce that you're crazy, you're mentally ill, you haven't understood. It's almost like you've got to kill them with kind of, which is very hard when people are very, very deep down into it because you just think I can't tolerate you and I don't want you around me. But it's almost like there's got to be a kind balance of I hear you, I see you, that's not how I see the world and let's just agree to live beside each other peacefully. Because actually the best thing you can do is show people on the inside that actually you can live quite happily wearing a mask or you can live quite happily with having an injection and that you're not going to become a lizard person, which is easier said than done. How do you recognise when somebody actually wants to come out of it? Because this is where all your experience with the fundamentalist groups comes in, isn't it? So what happens when people start to see beyond that little pinhole in the very early days it it comes in the form of it's a very vulnerable time a very very vulnerable time where it can and I often see women and and young actually young people more than anything both both boys and girls or you know in in their late teens early 20s starting to double and it either goes really well and they ask questions and they feel that those questions are answered and they feel they're being nurtured and they feel like they're meeting people and they're able to think about thinking differently and then ultimately what decisions they might be able to make to build a different belief system and a different life. Or, which happens a lot, they take little steps and they get at resistance and they take little steps and they feel like they're being shamed and they get little and they feel like they're being ridiculed or they feel like, oh, it's scary out there. People think differently to me and I don't know how to think and speak like them because the reality is when you live in these communities, you build a whole vocabulary that doesn't really translate very well outside of your own community. And so it does take a lot of 
experience to learn how to build a vocabulary like people in other communities. It's really like being a refugee in your own kind of suburb. You have this vocabulary that is reams and reams of sprouting stuff at people rather than a vocabulary and a, and a communication style of sitting and speaking and debating and having conversations. And that's very scary to realise I can't relate to these people because they, they don't think and look like me. And so, that yeah, people will dabble and find that very scary and then retreat back into that pinhole view of the world. And then maybe in a year they'll try again or in a week they'll try again. And if you're really lucky, they'll keep trying and they'll keep outreaching to people and gradually, very slowly build up a view of the world that isn't so narrow and isn't so sucked into that one world view. But of course, that depends on access to teachers, people like books and librarians and different parts of the internet to what they've normally been seeing. That's access to funds. That's access to maybe a different house, because if you're living in the same house as somebody with all that belief system, where do you go when you don't want to believe in that belief system anymore? So of course, there's there's a lot of layers to making a decision that you might want to leave such a community. How difficult is it? Do the other members of the group actually make it to leave? It varies across groups. It really does. And it varies across families. But what I see is families and groups that are real and people that are really deep into it. Like if you have a, a mother or a, how difficult do they make it? It depends very much on the group that you're leaving. So there are very variabilities depending on the group. And it depends on your family and how far down your family is into it and how far embedded they are into that group. I think people underestimate how much people's social structure is really wrapped up in, in all kinds of groups. And their identity is so wrapped up in it. You know, their friends, their family, their contacts, the people they drink with, the people they go out. Well, you don't remember when we used to go out, have lunches in cafes and stuff. I know it was a long time ago, but like that's people's life is is wrapped up in this. It's where they spend their free time. It's where they, when they're researching things, when they're in a religious sense, it's when they're praying, when they're, you know, their whole identity is wrapped up in these things. And some people have interests outside of that and lots of people don't. And so to lose your friends, to lose your family, to lose your interests, to lose your, your identity is huge. And some families are more able to accept somebody thinking differently than others. But I would say on the whole, it is very difficult to leave because it means rebuilding your life from scratch. Like for you. What was it like for me? I didn't realise how traumatic it was. Probably for about five to ten years, I was very stubborn and very determined that I would have a different life. And um, I just put one foot in front of the other and just kept going just believing that I could do it. But it is very traumatic. It is like being a refugee in your own country, in your own suburb, because you don't have friends, you don't have family, you don't you don't even have the same language as the people around you. Sure, you speak English, but you speak, you know, your whole vocabulary is different. Your whole view on the world is different to people around you. And yeah, I was lucky in lots of ways. I'm reasonably intelligent. I managed to get an education. But you know, a lot of these groups, people drop out of school early, people marry early, people have lots of children. I got very lucky in that regard. Did you, are you still in touch with your family or did you have to cut off from your family? It was a very fraught experience for me in that people, when people leave these groups, they leave with a lot of baggage, a lot of baggage, a lot of shame, a lot of trauma that's not processed. In my particular group, there was a lot of sexual abuse and physical and emotional abuse, not to mention the spiritual abuse. And that stuff manifests into things like addiction, 
more abusive and controlling and coercive behaviour. So, you know, the process of leaving these groups in itself, the people who come out the other side are not, even when they choose to leave, are not always in a great state. You leave with a whole toolkit of how to be controlling, of how to force your worldviews onto people. And, of course, you can take that same behaviour and use it for good in the world or you can use that same behaviour and you can take it into coercive relationships or into abusive relationships. And I found that I didn't want to take the behaviours that I'd been raised in and repeat them just outside of that religious context. And so I deconstructed all these things. I've been very lucky in recent years to have really good therapy and that's not easily available for people. You know, I would say that's the biggest thing people need when they make decisions to leave these groups is like really good decompression and really good like help to understand the thought patterns and to understand the way that they've thought and viewed the world. And you can still view the world in the same way, just not through that same conspiracy and religious context. You can still see problems black and white. You can still see people as good and bad. And I think that therapy process has been hugely beneficial for me. And I would recommend it for anyone. But of course, it's so expensive. Not everybody can do that. My own experience of that is people who've left in my family have taken that same view of the world and are still living that same view of the world just outside of the religious context, you know, and they're the same people that are susceptible to things like conspiracy theories and anti-vaxxers and and QAnon because they already think that way. I was actually going to say that to you as you were talking because I've noticed that quite a lot of my friends who have tendencies towards that kind of religion are the ones who disappeared down the rabbit hole the quickest and they're the ones that are in the thick of it. So I kind of wondered whether there was a, I don't know, a type of personality, I suppose, that's more attracted to it than others. I think there is a bit of a deep, look, I would say, I would say my experience of trying to understand how people's families end up in it is that it doesn't actually matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're richer, if you're poor, if you're smarter, if you're a little bit ordinary. Actually, I think it's your desire to fit in and there is a bit of a personality type. And it's not the only driver. Like there is, there are other things like those vulnerabilities, et cetera. But there are personality types that I think are a little more susceptible than others. And often they're the ones that are searching. They're the ones that are always looking for something, that are feeling like there's got to be more to life. And that's a wonderful tendency, but you've got to harness it in the right way. So tell me how you help other women. What is it you do and when did you start that? Well, pretty much as soon as I left, really, I was having conversations. I'd say my conversations were very different in the early days to what they are now, much more mellow now to what they are. I used to be very angry about my experiences and I used to, my experiences were very much about, you know, you need to get out and you need to leave and you need to get help and, you know, it was very like get out, you know, whereas now I'm like, well, there are ways that people can gradually remove themselves from these groups. You don't need to walk out and never come back. It's actually possible to very gradually build a life outside, you know, to to get a job outside the community or to get, a, to, to get some ordinary clothes, to dress a bit differently, to very gradually learn about the world. You don't need to get out one morning, walk out the door and never come back. And so over the years, I've just through sheer, you know, people reaching out and asking for information, people saying, you know, I know that you've left and that I know that you're a good person and I know that, you know, you're not going to judge me. I just want someone to talk to you about, like, what happens if you leave? And also there's a lot of 
conspiracy theories about the outside world, you know, which is the bizarre thing is that they have conspiracy theories about us, right? As much as we all have theories about them, they've all got theories about us as well. And so, you know, it really is just, you know, sitting around the table and pre-COVID, now it's mostly over email or Zoom, and saying, like, what, what is it that's troubling you? Is it the way that you have to wear your hair? Is it what you have to wear? Is it you questioning things in the Bible and thinking, I don't, that doesn't add up to my view of the world? And being able to say, yeah, and like, it's okay if things, if you've got questions, don't. Because people inside these communities shut down questions. There's only one way to view the world, and that's black and white. And, you know, it's, it's enabling them to ask questions in a non-judgmental way. That just made sense with being talked at by people. They, there are no questions to be asked. <laughs> they couldn't answer the questions even if this is the bizarre thing, right? From a religious, we, we don't have the answers. We have a preconceived like a pre-scripted way of replying to things, if you were to ask a question outside of that, they don't have the answer. And so that's why they leave no space because what would they say in that space? They don't, they don't have the answers. Right. <laughs> I actually suggested to the person when they were talking about all this, you know, well, there's this and there's this and there's the other. <laughs> I said there was an episode of Star Trek Voyager back in the 90s called, interestingly enough, The Voyager Conspiracy. And one of the crew members saw all these different things happening, put two and two together, came up with some bizarre number and almost caused a civil war on the ship. I said, this is what this feels like to me. <laughs> it's the best analogy I could come up with. Yeah. But the thing is, our governments and our social structures are allowing this stuff to flourish, right? Because if you're not, like, running a democracy in a way that is honest and forthright, then all of the holes in our democracy and our politics and our social systems allows this one and two to add up to 25 and become, like, flourishing because there's so many holes in it, um, you know, and you can choose to see the world as, as you know, full of these kind of holes that are, like, places where you can fall into and create conspiracies or you can you can see them as people's fallibilities and, and, and know that they're not, necessarily a reflection of a conspiracy but when you've got christian porters out there magically finding a million dollars i mean you can't help but think well no wonder people find conspiracy theories yeah and and that's the thing every i think because everything's happened at once and all of a sudden all of yeah people want certainty that's and that seemed to be what you were saying before you know and so because there was no certainty they went somewhere to look for certainty and they got a little bit and then a little bit more and then we end up talking about lizard head people. Correct. <laughs> and I'm yeah. standing there going, sorry. Yeah, because, and I think we talk a lot about critical thinking and that's probably the other thing I should I should touch on is, you know, we talk a lot about critical thinking and are we teaching our kids critical thinking? There's critical thinking and then there's understanding that critical thinking is more than just you know, doing your research, because people talk a lot about, you know, do your research and understand, but, you know, doing your research is not as simple as picking up the Encyclopedia Britannica. You can go online and, and Google something and end up in all kinds of different places and think you're doing your research. Not Research is not all equal. A lot of what I do is try and, especially with people who are very, very dark down in the, down in the rabbit hole, who want to fight at me and want to, if I can see that there's a possibility that we might be able to have a constructive conversation, if there's even like a, a, just a, a, a smidgen of an idea that we might be able to talk about something, no matter what it is, whether it's religion or death or 
funerals or it could be something very small. I do a lot of talking about sources and understanding when you do research on these things, what is, you know, understanding who your source is. So understand, you know, is it a journalist? If it's a journalist, where does that journalist work and where and where does that journalist publication sit on this on the spectrum of, of political and, and sociological outcomes? Is this Sky News that you're getting information from or is this the age? And, yeah, so it it's sort of saying, because often they'll say to you, you know, I've done my research, I've researched this and I've gotten all this information and here's all my source material. It's a lot about saying not all source material is created equally. You know, the guy from the tyre shop, he doesn't actually have the same certification and the same qualifications as a journalist from the Washington Times or from the New York, the New Yorker. Like you've you've got to understand that, that, that people exist on different spectrums of social kind of scales and of different political views and understand when you're doing things where that source material and try to get source material from different spectrums, not just from Sky News and not just from the Australian, but you need to see the world as a, a big continuum of people of all different ideas and, and test out your ideas at different ends of the spectrum because that's what critical thinking is. Critical thinking isn't going onto the internet and searching lizard people because that's going to give you all kinds of stuff that's just going to back up your own worldview. Fantastic. I think I could go a lot of other places and I really don't want to because we'll be here for another hour. Tell me why... Where did I want to go with this? It was something about the people in. No, I've got a complete blank. That's okay. Don't you love it when that happens? This is the menopause brain. You'll get this in a few years. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. Right in with toddler brain. I've got a toddler at the moment. You're just so tired that you don't even remember your own name. So no. I can't wait for menopause brain on top of toddler brain. I had my youngest when I was 40, just turned 40. So, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> it was hard work, really hard work. And I was never very good when I was pregnant with my eldest and I was worked most of the way through my pregnancy and I got on the phone one day to ask this staff member to come into work and I had to leave a message on the phone and I could not remember my name. I just went. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Like, um, <laughs> you know me, it's me, it's me. <laughs> with you. <laughs> oh wow, that's next level. The message. <laughs> on the old-fashioned, you know, the answer machines. Yes, I can't delete that one. <laughs> so yeah, oh, I'm back there sometimes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, tiredness. It's not good for you, is it? No, I've been. I woke up at three o'clock this morning. I'm just so yeah. I'm on the downward. You know that feeling if you've got. Um... I just live on coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how people function. How do people live without coffee when they have children? Sure. I mean, I, I don't understand. Every pregnancy I had, I went off coffee for longer until the fourth one. No, I haven't been able to drink it since really? I got pregnant with her. Yeah, yeah, it was really weird. I don't know so how you yeah. I know. It's, it's I wonder you forgot your name. Willpower. I understand. <laughs> if I didn't have coffee, I don't think I'd know my name either. Surprise, mine's not in. I've locked her out. Usually she's knocking on the door by now. They've got me in. So, yeah. When people leave, and particularly women leave these kind of cults, how do they find work and everything? Because you were saying you managed to get yourself an education. So I'm assuming you were homeschooled or schooled by your 
I don't want to call it a cult, your religious whatever. Yes, what no, happens in that kind of situation? Yeah, look, I, I, I actually, my, my group actually um, send their kids to mainstream schools, which is great in lots of ways, um, but we're taught to keep very separate. We're taught that, that it's okay to go, it's okay to get the basic education because we don't want to get in trouble by the government, but you're not to participate, you're not to, yeah, you're to keep yourself separate from the world. So I guess I'm lucky in that I got to at least watch from a distance what normal kids did and got to sort of understand a little bit about how the other side lives. But even then, I, you know, was very distrustful of them and believed them to be the devil but people like the brethren and the mormons often have their own schools they run their own and scientology is similar they often have their own schools and so kids are taught a very narrow view of the world they're taught you know basic arithmetic and and basic basic literacy but they don't they don't have a lot of skills to operate outside the community and often you'll find boys will be will leave and go into trades family trades very early in fact inside my own family that happens as well inside my own community you know, boys will go into family businesses and family trades and girls will get married young and have children and they often have large families and their worth is really kind of, and their self-esteem and their value is really built around these very strict gender roles. And it, it is really difficult for people to to extradite themselves from situations where financially, in my family, for instance, multi-generational farms um, and, and inside my community in general, there's a lot of multi-generational businesses so it's very hard just to to decide to build up your own financial when you don't have a house because it belongs to a family farm, when you don't have an income of your own because your own identity is wrapped up in a family business. Um, it is very difficult to just decide one day that actually you don't fit with that anymore. Often it does mean that people have to tolerate a certain amount of interaction with the community and the group still for at least some time in order to build a life outside of it, um, to think about how they might be able to get a different job how they might be able to get themselves a different house or a different farm. Um, and there's a lot of trauma associated with that process. And, in fact, that process can be more traumatic than the process of realising they don't believe in the group anymore because you've got to try and negotiate with people for whom they don't understand the way that you're viewing the world and you no longer have respect for the way they're viewing the world. And, it, it, and it's a very, very difficult, quite inflammatory and toxic kind of period in people's lives, which is really is what led me to being probably less kind of black and white about people leaving because I was very lucky I was young I didn't have I didn't have children I didn't have an identity that was really highly wrapped up in the group from a, a financial sense whereas some people do it's not it's not actually that easy to leave if you don't have any skills if you're a woman usually you won't really have worked certainly not in a career sense you might have done some administrative work you might have thought about getting something like a teaching degree or a nursing degree but certainly you haven't you haven't worked in it enough to be able to support yourself. So it is very difficult and often is a barrier to people leaving and leaving very fast. It's not something they can do in a month or six months or or sometimes even a year. Wow. And if you've got children, that just makes it so much worse, doesn't it? It's yeah. so much more difficult. Correct. And often if those children are teenagers, which is not something I see a lot, but usually it's the teenagers themselves that I'm talking with, but Sometimes there have been women who have children who are thinking they would like to leave and the parents are starting to have, the mothers are starting to have conversations about how do I support this child if they want to leave? Because actually uh, if you've got teenagers, they're likely to really be shut off or to, to not be spoken to or to have people not to trust them and not to, and, and, you know, these are mothers who really love their children and who really want to support their children but know that their doctrine is in is not going to, especially in the in the case of Jehovah's Witnesses and 
and brethren, but they don't allow them to continue to talk to people who've left. And so they're, you know, they're told to cut them off, to shun them. And that's very traumatic, especially for women. Yeah, some women are more empathetic about it than others, but, yeah, it's very traumatic for them to feel that their children are going to leave and they're not going to be able to see them or speak to them again. Yeah, I find it, like to me as I'm listening to it, it goes against human nature because as a mother your whole existence is about protecting your children and making sure they're safe and bringing them up and and all the rest of it. So to then be told you can never talk to that child again, goodness. Yeah, it's devastating and it, and it drives whole levels of trauma and distress. The levels of depression in some of the women that I speak to is just so severe. Yeah, it's it's very it's very sad actually. The ones it's pro- it's actually probably harder for the women than it is for the children in lots of ways. Like the women I've spoken to have struggled so like emotionally and mentally, often struggle much more than the children who have left and decided that they'd like to build a different life. It's very sad, but of course it goes to show what happens with the ones who manage to somehow pull their lives together and keep going. I mean that's how deeply embedded some people are in this group that they would give up their children like that they would never speak to their children again because they can't comprehend that people would have a different worldview to them. And that, that for me is also an indicator of how how deeply embedded somebody's family is in a group is have they cut their children off because that tells you something about how deeply embedded they are. Yeah, a friend of mine a long time ago, she, I don't know what group it was, you'd probably know, but she uh, came out of the, she was gay. And in her particular religion, you are with the family forever. And by her announcing that she was gay, she was literally cut off from her family forever, like in every single life in the future, in every past life, everything. She was just completely cut off from her family. And like, blimey, the trauma that that must have brought to that poor woman. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't do that. And I don't get it. I, I can't put myself in that situation. I couldn't do it, but I also know how it happens because they're so deeply embedded in their belief system that anything that contradicts it, including their own children, is it's it's too much for them to deal with. They can't. They would rather cut off their child than they would accept that something is wrong with their belief system. That's how deeply in some people are. You know, and that's what we're looking into with the likes of QAnon and the and the likes of anti-vaxxers, that they will go so, and it won't be one generational, we will get in the same situation again. The longer inst- political instability goes on, the longer things in the world are more and more unequal, the more people we're going to lose down these rabbit holes. And we're going to have these same conversations, in my opinion, in 10, 20 years' time about children of QAnoners who are going, how did this happen to my family? Why did this happen to my family? Um yeah, that's the sad reality. This is what we're creating. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Laura. I really appreciate it. It's been a fabulous conversation. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you for having me. So you, you haven't got a product? No, I have a website where I you have, I sort yeah. of started over the years putting some of the blogs and the general questions and the sort of general information that I have. When I chat one-on-one with people, a lot of the commonly asked and questions and common conversation topics that people might find interesting in this space um, and of course if you're if you're somebody from this community you know, I'm always happy to have conversations as well and um, people can reach out on my website as well and the links to Laura's website will be on the web page that go with this podcast as well 
Can people, is it just for fundamental Christian groups or is there, is there anybody that? Anybody, yeah. People, you know, I have conversations with people who are just curious about these groups in general. One girl I, I have quite an ongoing relationship with had a grandmother who was raised in one of these groups and, you know, just, um, yeah, has a curiosity for these groups. And so she chats with me sometimes about how these things work. Um, but, yeah, more and more I get questions from people who are losing people, friends into QAnon and obviously anti-vaxxers at the moment are another big one. So, you know, there's similarities across groups as well. Yeah, it seemed to me, I mean, that was why I, I wanted to talk to you because it seems to me there's a really strong correlation between yeah, fundamentalist groups and QAnon and, yeah, I can't get my head around either of them, to be honest. So I need to talk to somebody who can. Thing, right? Just be pleased that you don't have any tendencies to head there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I basically think people are nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't get it when, yeah. I, I mean, that was one of the biggest upsets for me that some friends that I cared about really deeply, this is going back 18 months, would suddenly start her talking about Hillary Clinton eating babies and it's like, how can you talk about somebody like that? That's really awful. I, and that was the have start of the absurd that is? That is just absurd. It's perfectly good food out there. Why would she want a baby? Like this is coming back to what I was saying before. It's about the the love bombing where they'll love bomb you with things that make sense and things that that appeal to you and think they're not going to love bomb you with Hillary Clinton eating babies. That's not how they're going to get you in. They're going to get you in with this sense of community and the pedophiles and the, the child the child abuse rings and you know they get you in with that really vulnerable emotive stuff. And then by the way, she also eats babies. And you go, of course she doesn't eat babies, but I'm in now. And so now I have to go along with this ridiculous idea that she eats babies. What, what I'm noticing as well as the 18 months has gone on is the the stories are changing. So we've kind of left the eating babies bit and we've, you know, the pedophilia ring isn't talked about so much and it yeah. kind of moves from item to item is that normal is that what yeah, happens? I think it is I mean in different ways it's different emotional kind of manipulations right because if you get bored I mean psychologically people they get bored with hearing the same thing over and over again it hasn't got the same hook anymore so we've got to find a different hook to scare you with we've got to find another way to worry you we've got to find another way for you to think well this is the only way to to see the world because if I don't see the world then it's always like there's got to be another catastrophe and another disaster and another thing because otherwise you'll get distracted by another shiny thing that's somewhere else. We need you to stay distracted with us because if you don't, you'll find something else, won't you? Right, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and why why do they spin all these half-truths? Because what I've noticed is in everything there's like this tiny little grain of truth and then all these lies or misleading information surrounding it. Why is that? Why do they do that? I know the answer to that. I think because it's so, I mean, look, if I look at it from a biblical perspective, it's almost keeping you grounded with one tidbit of reality. I don't know. Is that what it is? Look, I don't, I don't know. Probably from a biblical perspective, it's like, yeah, from my group in particular, we'll pick parts of the Bible and interpret those parts of the Bible and yet ignore other parts that are equally as important. And I think it's about but yeah, I don't know. Is it is it about make keeping you grounded in some way? I'm not sure. I, maybe it's about keeping you grounded in some way and going, well, see, here's this reality, 
And so this bit, no matter how much you research it, you've got to find out is true. And so if you at least believe a piece of it, then I can keep building more and more around that. Yeah, I'm not sure that I've articulated that well. I'm not sure that I know the answer to that either. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the, the example I'm thinking of is ivermectin. The, the thing that's going on is, well, ivermectin, the inventors of ivermectin won a Nobel Prize for it, and it's on the World Health Organization list of medicines. Well, yeah, both of those things are true, mm. but it's an antiparasitic drug, and it's mm. a really efficacious one, and it saved millions of lives worldwide. But it's not used to treat viruses, you know. Yeah. But the two little seeds of truth are in there. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, maybe it's a bit similar to the love bombing thing in that it gets you where it's vulnerable, right? It's getting you where there's two data points that are truth and it's getting you where you're vulnerable because we're all vulnerable at thinking I want proof that something is valid and I want scientific evidence. Well, those two things are there. The rest of it isn't, but we're vulnerable to that idea that something is proven and that something is valid. So I can't help but see it through that love bombing sense, which is, you know, I'm going to bomb you with this idea that it's valid and that it's proven, and then I'm going to throw a heap of other stuff in that's probably not right. And you're going to keep coming back to that point of, yeah, but it's on this list and it's true and it's whatever. Maybe it's because that's where people's vulnerabilities are. It's they really want. interesting. It's fascinating. There is a book, actually, and I'll delete this out of the thing. There is a book called Cultish. Have you read yes, that? I've read it. I have. Great. Yes. Because yes. that was. Language. Yeah, I'd read that. And that was why I picked up this woman's language because I'm like, oh, this is getting interesting now because I recognized mm-hmm. <laughs> from the book what was going on. Isn't it good? Yes. Yeah, and her family's journey in that's really interesting too because, I mean, the fact that she had a family experience and her father was able to say, I mean, same similar to my story, it's about meaning and he was searching for something a bit different and, he, you know, he wanted to feel like he was cool and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, yeah. my God, yeah, there's that appeal, isn't there? The appeal of being cool. Hmm. That's more than wanting to belong, I think, is the big thing for, you know, the Instagrammers, the, the you know, the... Yep. It's been a bit different, you know. I, I'm independent, I'm different, I think for myself. And that's really preyed on in this regard is that, yeah. yep, the independent, you're a free thinker. <laughs> An independent thinker. If you're a, um, if, if you're one of these sort of Instagrammable kind of character use people, the ones that have a character use a day or whatever, you're looking for different ways to differentiate, to differentiate yourself and to think different, to show that you think differently and to show that, you know, you've got a healthy mind and you've got a healthy scepticism or whatever. This is perfect fodder for you. It's fascinating, right? <laughs> Going for an hour. I knew we would. <laughs> That was great. I am going to let you go. Thank you very much, Laura. It was really great. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I've had a great chat and I'm happy to chat with anyone who's interested as well. That's lovely to know. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.